Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today we're talking pigeons, podcasts, and public history with the staff of the Admiralty House Communications Museum in Mount Pearl. Our guests are Sarah Wade and Lauren Lamb. Sarah Wade is a museum manager and holds a BA in history archaeology with an honors in applied museum studies from Algonquin College. Lauren Lamb is the museum's collections assistant and is currently completing her master's in public history from University of Western Ontario. And we'll start with Sarah Wade. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm welcome back. Yes. This is your uh, second time, I think, or at least third, maybe second time on the show. Um, we we had you here once uh, talking about the Museums Association of Newfoundland and Labrador, and then we were out to Admiralty House talking about the Florizel. And we also talked about Heritage Tomorrow Heritage and all tomorrow. the work about youth in the province. You are a pro here, I think. Essentially. Essentially. Very good. Well, welcome back. So today we're talking about uh, the work that you're doing at Admiralty House and how that relates to public history. Uh, for people who are not familiar with Admiralty House Communications Museum, what and where is it? Admiralty House Communications Museum is located in Mount Pearl, Newfoundland at 365 Old Placentia Road. Uh, and while it looks like a new building on the outside, it's actually a historic building. It was built and opened in September 1915 as a top-secret wireless station during the First World War. And there were kind of a few main purposes for the building. It was a Marconi wireless telegraph station. And it was built to decode German naval transmissions to get messages about ships in distress and to get messages about uh, any sightings of icebergs. So the last two are a direct result from the sinking of the RMS Titanic in 1912. So within the museum, we focus on uh, the history of Mount Pearl, the history of the building itself, and all the activity, activity that went on there. Uh, we focus on the Newfoundland Royal Naval Reservists that guarded the station, and we have a permanent exhibit on the SS Florizel disaster that occurred in February 24th, 1918. Uh, this is the 100th anniversary of the Florizel. You've been doing a lot of work there. You have a, a new exhibit that's... Uh, has been in the annex and which is going on provincial tour it's going off to where it's going off to it's going to go to the community museum that's located in Renews Cap Hayden uh, so very excited to have that because uh, we're very proud of the work that was done and the new stories that we collected adding to the public knowledge of the stories and who were on the floors and where were they going and also focus on who the rescuers were as well so it's going to be in renews cap hayden for the summer uh, we're going to be working with that community museum to set up the display and uh, have it there and give it have chance for other people uh, who live in the southern shore to see these stories and to you know learn more about these individuals I, i'm curious about what the response has been from the community since you've opened the exhibit how, how has the public reacted to this to this new new work you've been doing? Uh, I think there's a special place in Newfoundland history for the SS Florizel. There's similar; it mirrors the Titanic in a lot of ways. There's a lot of fascination around the Florizel disaster. Uh, just all the events that went around the disaster, the timing of everything, uh, its connection to the Halifax explosion. Um, just how close it was to the shoreline and you know there's 137 people on board and and only 44 survived two of which being women 
so people are still studying it, and, and we partnered a lot with the uh, Marine Institute. Uh, they actually set up a 3D model of the SS Florizel, and they recreated the final voyage. So we've been quite busy putting off a variety of programs, uh, whether more intellectual programs that are looking at more scientific aspects of the disaster uh, for kids programming so they can learn about this and kind of make those stories relevant. Because it doesn't matter, you know, what you're focusing on within your exhibit. At the end of the day, stories about, it's kind of timeless. It's a story about disaster and then people that were there to help. Uh, and people never get tired of hearing those stories. So we've had a lot of people uh, come and, and share stories, and we've actually managed to collect new stories uh, since the exhibit opened. So all of that's going to be going into an exhibit catalog that we're releasing as well because uh, there's been a lot of people that aren't in the area, uh, and they want to hear and have these stories and keep it part of their own collection. So I hope it ends up on a bookshelf somewhere next to the Cassie Brown's book to kind of add on to the, the great job and the great stories that she collected. So one, one of the things that you've been doing a lot of, it seems, over the last year or so at the, at the museum is, is a lot of that public work, like reaching out to the community, incorporating their stories, getting those stories back out to the community once you've collected them, um, which ties in, I think, really nicely with the overall kind of communications theme yeah. of, the, of the museum. Just, just how important is that kind of public Public aspect of your of your work. Well, with the museum, one of my main focuses when I started in uh, August 2017 is just kind of bump up uh, programming. I want it to be relevant. I want people to see it as a community space. And you know, you and I have talked about this a bit. And people aren't just coming out just for exhibits. You come out and see an exhibit once, and you know, unless you have family visiting or friends, you're not often going to go see it again. And I, you know, agree with that sentiment. So one thing to get new people in, as we do have uh, some permanent exhibits been there a while, is just to find new ways for the visitors to interact. Uh, not everyone learns through reading as well, so trying to find uh, creative outlets for people, uh, lecture series, uh, and just try to get people through the doors to learn about their community museum, uh, learn about communications, uh, and all the other stories that we have to share. So that's kind of been my focus, just trying to get variety of audiences that are different age, people that are different ages that don't typically go to museums. Right. One of the projects you're going to be rolling out this summer as well is a, a bit of a collection of public oral history project that you're going to be soliciting stories. You're going to do a, a mug up, uh, have people come and share their stories, and then hopefully do a, a booklet out of that material as well. Yeah, so a lot of great work has been done. Back in 2014, there was a collection of stories. This kind of lives in this uh, very large, almost 300-page PDF, and it's a great resource and very thorough on the history of Mount Pearl and various stories. So one way to make that more accessible is we'd like to have a little booklet that people can take home with them and uh, and check out to hear these stories. And I love the work the Heritage Foundation has been doing and the book that Heritage New Pearlican has out, The Goat's New Pearlican. So I would love to have that uh, for Mount Pearl as well because I think there's a lot of great stories out there and, you know, the time to get the stories is now. So that's kind of a big project for the summer. Uh, and then we just like to go from there and just, you know, not hoard those stories to ourselves, but uh, bring it back to the community. Well, one of the other things that you're you're doing is setting up a, a blog uh, as another way of kind of sharing your museum and the community stories. Yep. 
So uh, tell me about what kind of stuff you're going to be putting on the blog. What's up there now? Well, on the blog right now, uh, our collections assistant, uh, Lauren Lamb, she's been writing a lot of blog posts about the work she's been doing. Uh, we're going to be adding more to it once I get my summer students for the summer. I, we're going to have a blog post scheduled, so we want to highlight artifacts within the collection, um, different parts of our history and unique stories, because uh, there's a lot of people out there that have an interest in communications and in the Newfoundland Royal Naval Reserves that are unable to make the museum. And a part of the job for the museum is not just the preservation of artifacts, but the promotion. So this is just another way we can promote our own history that we have been collecting since the museum opened in 1997. Right. And we're going to be talking to Lauren about the podcast project that you guys are also doing, because you have a radio station uh, at the museum, which is unusual. Most yeah. m most uh, museums don't have their own radio station. Yeah, it's quite a rare thing. And, you know, when I stepped into my role as manager, like I think about my tasks and it's kind of this other little world um, that I've just been exploring now since August, but it's Tourism Radio, CICQ 92.3 FM, and uh, we have a great you know, group of volunteers that help manage the content that's on there, and I just want to put more attention on our radio, and I want to have uh, more programs, scheduled programs. We're proud to partner with Living Heritage Podcast, and we have this airing, so I'll be on my own radio station, uh, and it'll be on uh, 2 p.m. every Thursdays, so we're happy to have that, and then we're creating our own podcast, uh, Pigeon Post. Yeah, so explain explain the Pigeon Post name to me. Well, at the museum, we have a carrier pigeon on display, and we lovingly call him Archie. And uh, so anyway, I was just trying to come up with a different name for the post, and like yourself, I really like alliteration. And... We, I, through Google searches, I came across pigeon posts, and it's just the process of sending mail using a carrier pigeon. And, uh, and just Googling carrier pigeons, you could get lost for five hours looking at <laughs> all of the monuments done for carrier pigeons all across Europe. Uh, so yeah, I just really like the idea of pigeon posts, and we have a, already have a graphic designer created, uh, a graphic design of Archie. So we're going to use that as well. And uh, he even has his little uh, message canister on his ankle in the graphic, which is pretty sweet. So I'm excited. And we're going to be using that to kind of showcase different stories from the collection, showcase uh, community from Mount Pearl, and uh, just a variety of different stories. And just try to air that on our on our own radio station and then have that available online as well. So now where did where did Archie himself come from? How did how did Archie end up in your collections? Archie is uh, donated by a board member and but he was bought at an auction in Australia. <laughs> so and, he's very well one well-traveled pigeon. Yeah. Oh, he's a dignified pigeon and uh, we, on display, you know, we have Archie and we have the little canister with the message still in it uh, as a sample. And then uh, a little handout that people can view as well. We actually have the training booklet that an officer would get when they were given 
their pigeon to learn how to look after it, uh, how to send messages, uh, feeding and maintenance and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I just think I've always been obsessed with carrier pigeons ever <laughs> since uh, my university professor, Michael O'Brien, told us about carrier pigeons. And uh, so I just love having that artifact there and i love that he's going to be the focus of our podcast so uh but he got his name he he's not technically archie that's not in our past perfect software database but it was through a facebook online uh, naming campaign where people voted and then one was picked out of a hat i believe and archie was the winner uh so we had a little kids play a couple summers ago um before i started working with the museum where to teach kids about homing pigeons and how pigeons would know where to fly uh we had archie archie had an arabella and uh so teaching about that and we had little puppets and stuff like that so kids loved it and kids love archie when they come to the museum yeah he's right he's right on display right when you come in he's he's pretty close to the main entrance he's the display case i have to clean all the time because there's little kids fingerprints (laughs) all over his some of those might be my fingerprints (laughs) i always look at him when i go in too I uh, I actually went to McDonald's one time, and when you get your cream in the side, they put it in a little mini espresso container, and I looked at it instantly. I was like, oh, my God, this is Archie size. So we actually <laughs> posed in a selfie, myself and the assistant manager, and then we had the little Archie size espresso McDonald's coffee cup in front of him. <laughs> I think we bring it to a new level. but You are doing a lot of social media stuff as well. I know you're on your, you, you now have your podcast. You're going to have your radio program, but you're, you're doing Facebook. You're on Twitter, uh, Instagram. Instagram, yeah. And I think this is really important. Like, it's just another way. It just kind of adds to the communication sides of things, uh, just kind of in the general promotion of our museum, what we're doing. Because we do a lot of hard work, and we put off a lot of programs. We have a lot of exhibits happening and things in the work. And we just want to share that with people so they know you know what's happening at the museum and once again for those that can't be at the museum they're still learning about different uh people and different uh interesting parts of our history so we were just uh before we recorded this uh program we were recording the new intro for pigeon post so i think we're going to listen to that now and right after that it's going to go right into the next half of our interview with lauren lamb so sarah thank you for coming on the show thanks so much for having me okay here we are the new intro for pigeon post You're listening to Pigeon Post on CICQ 92.3 FM Tourism Radio, coming at you from Admiralty House Communications Museum in Mount Pearl, Newfoundland. Hello, Lauren, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So that was the intro for the new podcast. Yeah. Tell me about it. What's it going to be about? When I originally reached out to Sarah a few months ago, uh, hoping to do an internship with her over the summer, um, she she was really excited because she had had a project that she already had in mind to have a summer student do. So basically, it was to take advantage of the fact that we have our own radio station and just use that to kind of uh, have regular segments about the history of Mount Pearl, the history of the museum and the building itself, 
Um, we have a couple extra like recordings of oral history interviews from either people who know someone that was on the Florizel or someone who was there. Like we have an interview with someone who was a rescuer. So it's basically just everything that we do in the museum, but we're going to put it on the radio now. So kind of just broadening our audiences. Yeah. And and how, how long is it going to be? It's going to be... Um, I think they're probably going to be like 30 minute, maybe yeah. 40 minute segments each week. They're going to, we decided we're going to play them every Tuesday at 4 p.m. So just like a little half hour in the afternoon on Thursdays, kind of a little new refreshing topic every week too. Yeah. Yeah. And you've been listening through some of the oral history collection. I know that's on the digital archive. Are, are there interesting stories that are on that? Um, yeah, there are. There are a lot. So the... Um, the ICH, Intangible Cultural Heritage, Heritage yeah. they did um, a bunch of oral history interviews with people of Mount Pearl. So um, they go back. There's some people that were interviewed that moved to Mount Pearl in like the 20s. And then there are other people who like grew up in Mount Pearl in the 80s. So there's stories of like taking the railroad from Mount Pearl to St. John's or um, in the 80s. The Mount Pearl Curl, which was a really popular <laughs> right, hairstyle. Yeah. I think I think you should do a whole podcast episode just on the history of the Mount Pearl Curl. Yeah, or maybe like attach a slideshow just of some great <laughs> photos because, yeah, everybody had their own Mount Pearl Curl, but they were all equally as absurd and eccentric and elevated. High. Elevated is, <laughs> yeah. a good, is a good word for it. Yeah, so that's uh, that's uh, exciting, and I and I'm looking forward to to hearing it. And uh, I think it's great that the museum is kind of doing that. I, I again, you know, I, I said with Sarah that it's the only museum I know of that really has a, a radio station. Well, actually, um, the Bond Bay Cottage Hospital they have a they have a community radio in the same building as them, and I know they they do some work uh, with that radio station as well. But yeah, having a podcast I think is a great a great idea and, and not something that a, a lot of museums in the province are really doing. No. And I mean, I have a little bit of experience. I did like a one-off podcast, as you know. As I know, because I was in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I had a lot of fun doing it. Like as much as I struggled, once I kind of finally honed my skills with the different softwares and stuff that I need, like I was working on it today before we came here. Like I just feel like Rick D's and I'm like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> And so this was, you had interviewed me about uh, hangings. Yeah, I the think. Yeah. last public execution. Yeah, the, the execution of Catherine Snow. And that that was part of your, your work at, at Western. Yeah. Yeah. So so tell me a little bit about public history because you know, I'm a public folklorist, so I think I have a pretty good understanding of what public folklore is. Mm -hmm. What is public history? Um, It's basically just how history is communicated to the public. So whether that's in a museum, an archive, national historic sites, things like that. So it's like traditional historians do the research. Well, we do research too, but like if you have like an academic article, you're not exactly going to find Joe on the street who's going to be able to read that and kind of like appreciate the significance of, of what he's reading. So public history is a way to... Some people think it's a way of dumbing down history, but it's not. It's really just making it more accessible to a more broad audience. Yeah. So it's it's taking it from just being like an academic realm to anybody can kind of access and understand it and benefit from it. So how did you how did you end up at Western? How did you decide that the public history route was the route for you? Um I 
I was doing my I did my undergrad at Mun, and so I was I was doing my honors, and I had to do a presentation about my primary research that I was using for my uh, for my research for my undergraduate thesis. And after my presentation, my supervisor, uh, Dr. Justin Fantauzo and Terry Bishop Sterling, who was the department head at the time, they both came up to me and they asked if I'd ever heard of public history, and I hadn't. Because there's nothing like that. Well, there's the public folklore, but, like, there's no public history really equivalent here. And so they both told me, they were like, yeah, as soon as we saw that presentation, we were like, hey, maybe Lauren should do public history. So then I looked into it, because originally my plan was undergrad at Mon, MA at Mon, PhD, professor. But then when I looked into public history... I realized how much more fun I could have with history <laughs> than just being confined to an office all day. And and I really like people, so I like the idea of taking what I know and what I like to learn and presenting it in a way that other people will hopefully enjoy it and learn something from it too. Yeah, yeah. So so tell me a little bit about the program then. What uh, how how long a program is it, and what what do you have to do? Because it is partially course based and partially internship? Yeah, so I'm still in the works right now. This is um my internship portion of the program. So, I'm really lucky to be with Sarah for that part at the museum. Um but our coursework was um we had a lot of specialized courses. So, we did a course in museology. We did a course in like uh interactive exhibit design. We did an archives course, Introduction to Archives. And, like, it's not just learning the theories. Like, for our museology course, we had to do a cataloging assignment where we had to fill out all the paperwork and and organize this new collection that had been brought into the archive. We had to do um, an archival description project, go through a smaller, like, a a font and, and write down the descriptions, item level descriptions and all that stuff. Um, we met with the London Advisory Committee on Heritage to propose properties for designation and what goes into that. So um, it wasn't very long, but I did so much. So, like, we really were always just learning, but then taking what we had learned right away and putting it to practice. So Yeah, yeah. Before we were starting here, we were having a little chat about uh, graveyard cemetery projects. Mm -hmm. Can can you tell me a little bit about this project? Because this this is part of that program as well, is it? Yeah. Yeah, so aside from our coursework, our main, like some master's programs, you have to do like an individual thesis. But every year, because public history, like collaboration is so important in like public history, public folklore, you know, it's good to have... Um, good group working skills. So the group project is always the the final, you know, the final step of this program. And so what we did was we researched and wrote a book about one of London's cemeteries, which is Woodland Cemetery. So for that, we had to learn all about tombstone conservation, different tombstone sim- symbolisms, um, like histories of genealogy, like different people in the cemetery, you know, going through and finding particular people's graves to highlight because they were interesting for this reason and stuff like that. So um, I know more than I ever thought I would know about cemeteries, and I spent more time there than I probably will after I've died. (laughs) But um, it was really interesting because it's not something that I would have probably gone out to do on my own, but it was really cool to get 
the the experience and the opportunity to do things like that. And so were each of the students kind of responsible for a different segment of the book, or did you work collaboratively on, on specific projects? Yeah, so we were broken up into groups. There were 13 of us, and so we were broken up into four groups. And so each group was a different time period. So the first group was like, uh, like Civil War... And stuff like that. Then there was like the Edwardian period to the end of the Second World War. I think I'm leaving one out. And then it was like the Second World War to now. There was another one in there. But yeah, so we all focused on the same things just for different time periods. And then we kind of organized it like chronologically and how like the evolution of things in the cemetery went or and then like we'd have our highlight of this person died and was buried here and they're interesting for this reason. So like, so what what uh, time period were you working on? I did First World War because that was like my area in my undergrad too. So yeah, I was like – Yeah. And was there a story that's kind of stuck in your memory from that from that project? Yeah. There was a, um, a famous – like they were – they're well known in London, the Becker family – and so Archibald Valency Becker, he was a doctor. He went to med school at Western. And uh, his brother actually died in France somewhere, I think. His brother died before. And so after his brother died in the war, he felt that he should go and fight. So this was in 1917 or 18, I think. So very near the end of the war. He went to the enlistment office, signed up, and he was a doctor. So he signed his own papers saying that he was fit for service. <laughs> right, yeah. And then when he was assigned to a military hospital in Quebec, he got influenza and died. Oh. So he didn't even make it. A very it. short-lived military Yeah, career, and so right? I just yeah. thought it was really funny that – well, not funny, cause, <laughs> but uh, it was just really odd that – he was the one, like, saying, I'm medically fit. I'm a doctor. You have to listen to me. <laughs> and then he didn't even get a chance to really go and do anything. Cause, yeah, yeah. So because he hadn't gone overseas already, he was able to be transported back from Quebec to London. And so that's why he's buried there. Right. And so will that book then be published, made available to the public at some point? Yeah. So we're hoping that it's going to be published by 2019. Great. So sometime next year, hopefully. Yeah, well, we have to be on the lookout uh, yeah. for that. Yeah. yeah. So now, I know you're just in the early stages of this work at Admiralty House, but is there is there a story that you've kind of been attracted to that you want to to tell in your podcast? Is there something that that you think is uh, an exciting bit of Mount Pearl history or, or communications history that you want to share? Hmm. Um, I recently found out about the first transatlantic flight that was out of Mount Pearl. The Alcock and and Brown. Alcock and Brown. And I didn't know about that. And so we're probably not going to focus too much on that yet where we do have the podcast. But like, I just think it's so cool that these guys just took off in a little plane out of Mount Pearl and flew across the world. And then they were knighted. They got knighted because nobody thought they were going to be able to do this. (laughs) They got paid like 10,000 pounds. And I just thought it was so funny that like, I lived right around the corner from Mount Pearl my whole life. I grew up in paradise, and I just never knew any of this cool stuff, and I was just always like, ah, oh, Mount Pearl. But now I'm like, huh, Mount Pearl. <laughs> so when is the when are the podcasts going to be launched? When are they going to be out in the world? We're hoping that our first podcast will be coming out next week. So Tuesday... Whatever date that is. Okay, well, we'll twenty six we'll, at four p.m. We'll promote that. And uh, uh, if people want to find information about the the podcast or the blog, where do they go? Our blog is AdmiraltyMuseumBlog.blogspot.com, 
and our website is just admiraltymuseum.com .ca and uh, if you go there there's like a contact us page about us page and on our blog too like all our contact information Twitter Instagram Sarah's always posting really great stuff on our Instagram so um, yeah there's lots of ways to find out about us and I think that we've been really putting ourselves out there lately so as a public historian as a public historian should (laughs) thank you for coming on the show thanks for having me I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our production assistant is Tara Barrett. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at HFNLCA. Thanks for listening. <laughs>